uh, 12. I read it from the New American Standard Bible. And you can kind of see some of these points. But it says, For the choir director, upon an eight-stringed lyre, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the affliction, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace on the on the earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Okay. This could be a continuation in a lot of ways of Psalm 11. Remember Psalm 11 had stated in verse 3, or asked, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And this almost seems like a continuation of that thought. The godly man ceases to be. Foundations of the world are shaken. The godly man ceases to be. The wicked are destroying and devouring with their lips. Where is safety? Where is security? And if all the words of all are empty and deceptive, whose word is true? Whose word is true? Now, this description of the corruption of society is given... You find similar descriptions in other places. Uh, Look at Jeremiah 9. I I pick out Jeremiah 9 as an illustration of this kind of literature because, first of all, you see several examples if you looked at the notes that I gave you, and all of them are from the prophets. This is a common thing the prophets did as they denounced the corruption and the wickedness in society. But one of the reasons I picked Jeremiah 9 is because much of that corruption in society deals with the tongue just as it did in Psalm 12. Look at verse 2 of Jeremiah 9 and looking about through verse 6, it says, Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go from them, for all of them are adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. I just wish I could find a place to get away from them for a moment, to get away from them because they are so wicked, they are so evil. And particularly, they are guilty of sins of the tongue, verse 3. They bend their tongue like their bow. Lies and not truth prevail in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil. They do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone be on guard against his neighbor. Do not trust any brother. 
because every brother deals craftily and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and does not speak the truth. They have taught their tongues to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. Your dwelling is in the midst of deceit. Though through deceit they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. He gives this list of people that you cannot trust. You cannot trust your neighbor. You cannot trust your brother. You cannot trust uh, your neighbor again. The book of Micah uh, has a similar section to this in Micah 7. And it says, guard your lips from the woman uh, who sleeps with you, your your wife. Guard, Guard your lips from her. You can't trust her. That is how Jeremiah views his society. That is how Micah 7 views his society. And that may be what our society is like. Sometimes we feel that more intensely than we do at others. But it seems like the godly man has ceased altogether and the wicked who would destroy with their lips prevail and there is no stopping them. Now, if you have an English Standard Version, in verse 1, it translates, instead of translating that help, it translates that first word as save, which is more literally correct in this case. It's the word save. Uh, But the New American Standard, the NIV, translated as help. Help, help, O Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. I'm going to tell you something fascinating about that word ceases. It's only used about five times in the whole Old Testament. This is one of them. But it's been used once in Psalms already. Look back in Psalm 7. In Psalm 7, it was used in Psalm 7 verse 9. Psalm 7, 9. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. Same word translated, come to an end, in Psalm 7, 9, is translated ceasing in Psalm 12, verse 1. But in Psalm 7, 9, notice it is the wicked, it is the wicked who ceases, it's the wicked who comes to an end. And now here in Psalm 12, 1, it is the godly man who ceases, it is the godly man who comes to an end. The world's turned upside down. Instead of evil ceasing and coming to an end, it's godliness that seems to be ceasing and coming to the end. And he cries out as you probably cry out. When you feel the intensity of that evil, help, help Lord, for the godly man ceases. The faithful disappear From the sons of men. Now, that phrase, sons of men, it's used in verse 1, and it's going to end the psalm as well in verse 8. It begins the psalm, it ends the psalm. It forms kind of an inclusio or inclusion as it emphasizes man in his rebellion to God. And particularly, this rebellion to God, this evil is demonstrated via their tongues. And that's the way it is in most of Psalms, isn't it? Now, I know when you were younger, you learned the rhyme, if you were like me, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. 
that was a saying devised by teachers to try to get you not to respond when somebody said something bad about you. Because that was more frequent occurrence than it was to be hit with sticks and stones. Sticks and stones can hurt. Sticks and stones usually come with taunting and ridicule. Uh, But the statement that words will never hurt, we know is not true. And we know words can even incite great harm and great violence. And in this society where the godly man ceases, we see that. They speak falsehood. They are guilty of flattering lips. Both verse 2 and verse 3 mention flattery. Now, flattery isn't just being a little extravagant in your praise of somebody that's discouraged and somebody that's broken, trying to build them up. Flattery involves heaping praises on someone in order to manipulate them, to get them to do what you want them to do. You can't trust their praise. They speak falsehood, it says. The text says uh, they speak falsehood to one another. And I put in my notes, Ephesians 4.25, speak truth to one another. One of the one another passages in the writings of Paul, Ephesians 4.25, speak truth to one another, but here they speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double heart. Double heart is actually a phrase that's used only here, with heart and heart, but, but it seems like double heart is about the best way to convey that. And, and the point is that they may be saying one thing and may be actually thinking something else. And he prays in verse 3, may the Lord cut off these flattering lips. I need, I should be, I should have been doing this already. Okay? Should have been doing this already. But I just need to go through and make a notice of how many of these psalms include some portion of imprecatory language. Some portion calling down curses upon the evil or expressing the fact that God is judge. Because I think when you add all of them up, even though it may only be a line or two, calling down some statement of judgment in a particular psalm like this one is very short, But I think you've got almost half the Psalms that do something like that. And we'll talk about them more in earnest when we get to to Psalm Psalm 35. May the Lord cut off flattering lips. Now we instantly understand that as figurative. And we're not shocked by that. But you know the Assyrians actually cut off people's lips of their prisoner to, to persecute them, oppress them. What I'm trying to say in that is not that the psalmist was literally expecting that to happen. But the point is that language may have a violence to it that we might overlook. 
at first. Cut off. Cut off their flattering lips. And the tongue that speaks great things. So we've seen a flattering tongue. We've seen a false, deceitful tongue. And now we see a boasting tongue. A boasting tongue in verse verse 3. A tongue. Some think that James is referring to this. When he says in James 3 and verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Tongue is a small part, but boy, it can state big things, big words. And and we'll see in some passages of the Bible that great persecutors of God's people, for example, in Daniel 7, the, the beast that, that is described as persecuting God's people there, it is described as a mouth uttering great boast. Daniel 7, verse 20. Daniel 7, verse 25. And we see the same thing in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5. But many, may the Lord cut off flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, with our tongues we will prevail. Our, our lips are our own who is Lord over us. Our tongues, our tongues are going to prevail. They're going to triumph. They're going to be victorious. Our words are going to conquer. And this, the word that's used here for prevail is a term that's often used in military type situations. And it's going to prevail. Our tongues will be victorious. And our lips are our own, own. Who is Lord over us? What does that last phrase mean? Our lips are our own. Well, that's probably true for every one of us here, but what do they mean when they say that? Our lips are our own. Mary? I can say whatever I want to say. Yeah, and the idea is I can say what I want and I'm not accountable to anyone. Not accountable to anyone. Seems like I remember the fact that somewhere it says every idle word man will give an account for. Matthew 12, 36. But a lot of people act as if and they speak as if they're never accountable to anyone. It may be the person that we speak about may never know what we may say about him. But God always knows. God always knows what we say. And we are accountable to Him. But this attitude that's stated in verse 4 was the basic problem with the attitude back in Psalm 10, if you look there. In Psalm 10, verse 4, the wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. In verse 11, he said to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. In verse 13, 
Why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, you will not require it. You will not seek it. But the point is, in Psalm 10, in each of those verses, 4, 11, and 13, the idea is we're not accountable to God. And here these people who think their tongue can conquer all are the same way. Who is Lord over us? Who's going to call us to account for what we say? Now, that is a good dividing point of the psalm. What what questions do you have or what ideas do you have on uh, those first four verses? Anything? Yes, John. Somebody commented on this uh, verse 2, double heart, uh, by, by considering that you become your own victim... Believing your own lies. And I thought that was an interesting thought. And I've seen that, I've seen that happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. It seems like people have bought into the to the things that they stated, um, knowing when they started that they weren't true. And uh, James one touches on that theme too, um, or James one verse six. It says, "He let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind." And the double-minded man in verse 8 is unstable in all his ways. So, so you're right. I mean, some people, some people, can, can, tongue is so persuasive, they even fool themselves. They even kind of start to believe what they're saying themselves. And that's the uh, case here. Anything else? Yes. It just seems like, uh, you know, we think we live in a world where this is so prevalent today, but it's like human history, uh, not much has changed. Isn't that the truth? I mean, this is, I mean, we look at this and it sounds like ripping a page from today's headlines. And if we feel that way, what does a real Christian in China, North Korea feel like? And yet, this is from a thousand BC. And the world hasn't changed much. And the writer, one pointed out, kind of feels like Elijah. Lord, I alone am left. And, and he feels like that. And, and that wasn't exactly true in Elijah's case. And there may have been more godly in the case of the writer uh, when he pens this in Psalm 12. He mentions a, a community that the Lord will preserve in verse 7. But but we know the feeling too. We know the feeling. When all of a sudden you wake up and everybody you thought was together and all of a sudden, you know, a lot of it's it's heresy to believe something that everybody believed just a few minutes ago, it seemed. And I think that that that's exactly right. Our world hasn't changed very much. And uh, yes. Well, and I think to go along with that, I think it was the commentator Gerald Wilson who headed this psalm. What do you do when you feel like you're the only one still seeking God? Yes. Yes. Well, good. yeah, Wilson is a good writer on the uh, on the Psalms. 
Very good. What do we do? Well, one of the things that comforts us if you do feel like you're the only one seeking God. God speaks here. This is the first psalm we've had like this where God gives the reply. You have this a few times in the psalms, but the Lord is going to respond in verse 5. The, the boasters have asked, they have stated our lips will prevail, and they ask, who is Lord over us? But the last person they expected to respond was the Lord. But the Lord does respond. It says, because of the devastation of the affliction, of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. Because the afflicted, or, or the, the devastation of the afflicted, and the groaning of the needy. Now, let's look at some of these terms. Do you remember when we were in Psalm 9 and 10? That we said that Psalm 9 and 10, which some had regarded as one psalm, uses the most extensive vocabulary for people who are suffering of any particular psalm. The afflicted, this same word is used in Psalm 9, 12. It is used in Psalm, um, Psalm 10, 2. Psalm 10, 9, it's found twice. And in Psalm 10 and verse 12. So the word afflicted is found about six times in Psalm 10. The word needy, that word needy was used in Psalm uh, 9 and verse 18. Now, the afflicted and needy may be the same people mentioned in verse 1 as the godly and faithful. But what's interesting to me, if they are the same ones, and if they're not, I think think they are. But, but, But the point is, here they are described not by their character, but by their suffering. And God is said to hear their cry, not here because of their righteous character, but He hears their cry because of their groaning, because of their oppression and devastation that they have suffered. And God says, I will arise. I will arise. Now that is significant for... um, God was called before in the Psalms, arise. In Psalm 9, verses 18 and 19. In Psalm 10, verses 12 and 13. God was called to arise and come to the need of His people. Now the Lord has not been invited specifically to arise, but He uses these word, this word Himself. I will arise. What greater comfort can God's people have that God is rushing to their defense? God says, I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. In the midst of a society where you can't trust anybody, where you can't, every word you listen to is is with a grain of salt. Who can we trust? Verse 6. 
the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of the earth, refined seven times. Words of the Lord are pure. In the midst of a world full of deceit and full of flattery and full of boasting, God's words are reliable and true. And they're so purified, they are so reliable, it's like silver which has been put in the furnace. And silver being put in the furnace is a picture that's used elsewhere in the Psalms. And great metals being put in the furnace used elsewhere in the Bible to describe how God tested God tests us and refines us. For example, in Psalm 66 verse 10, You have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. But I want you to notice in the text of Psalm 10 in verse 6 that not only are we described as silver tried in a furnace, but it is refined seven times. Seven times. Seven is a number of perfection. It's a number of completion in the Bible. But but obviously God's words don't need to be put literally through the furnace seven times. But this is a way to show that they are the utmost in being reliable, secure, pure, and dependable. They are tried in the furnace, refined seven times. This is what Psalm 18 verse 30 says. As for the Lord, His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. It's tried, it's tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. In Proverbs 30, verse 5, the Bible says every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge. I don't know exactly how to say this because I don't want to make young people cynical. But I don't want you to be gullible either. Don't want you to be gullible. And a lot of times you hear things and the the natural response may be, well, I'm honest. People I'm around are honest. And I'm sure this person is being honest with me too. But it may be that it may even be that from their point of view, they're not necessarily lying, but because of their presuppositions, they're not looking for truth. And in the midst of a world where it's hard to trust anyone, that's why you need to read the Bible. You need to be looking at it. Because what it says is reliable and dependable. And in verse 7, You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve them from this generation forever. So, God promises not to cut off 
the lips of the wicked in verse 3. But God does promise in verse 5 and verse 7 to set the person who serves Him in safety. God promises to keep them and to preserve them. But in verse 8, we're not given any kind of idea that wickedness is stopped because it says the wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. The wicked strut, the wicked walk around, the wicked, the wicked feel comfortable because their kind of behavior is exalted, promoted, and glorified. The word that's used here for exalted in verse 8, 12 8 uses the word exalted. This word is used often in the book of Psalms, and this is not a complete listing. Psalm 1846, Psalm 2113, Psalm 4610, Psalm 66 7. In each of those passages, this same word for exalted is used, and it is the Lord who is exalted. The Lord is exalted in these passages. But in contrast to this, here you find the wicked strutting about when what's vile is is exalted. It's exalted among the sons of men. I like what one writer said. The church exists as a beleaguered minority in a thoroughly secular society. We live as resident aliens as a distinctive colony in a prevailing culture dedicated to self-sufficiency and self-fulfillment. That's profound. Forgive me if you got all that down, but let me read that again. The church exists as a beleaguered minority in a thoroughly secular society. We live as resident aliens as a distinctive colony in a prevailing culture dedicated to self-sufficiency and self-fulfillment. Like Brad and John and some of the others said before, I don't think this psalm promises that the world is going to change that much. If it does, if it does, it does it in other places. Doesn't do it in this psalm. Doesn't do it here. You open with the sons of men acting ungodly and you close with them acting ungodly. But we do find that our God, whose word can be trusted, is able to preserve and come to the aid of his people. What questions do you have there? What ideas? John? I think it's good to see verse uh, 7 in contrast with the situation in verse 1. The godly in verse 1 ceases to be. The faithful disappear. But it's God who preserves and keeps uh, that person. Yes. Sometimes I look at our world... And again, it's probably easier to be a Christian here than most any place in the world. 
if not any place, not, maybe not any place, but, but most places. And yet still, you see the hostility of evil people. And you think, what has kept them from wiping out everybody who truly follows God? It is the fact that we serve an all-powerful God who has kept us and preserved us. That's a reason. God has kept us. God has preserved us. God has been gracious to us. And in the midst of this wicked world, that is all due to His blessing. Every day we experience a good day, we need to thank Him and give Him praise. What other thoughts do you have? Let me read this one more time and then let's make some applications to Jesus here before we have Brad sing. It says, For the choir director upon an eight-string lyre, a psalm of David, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that speaks great things. Who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us because of the devastation of the afflicted because of the groaning of the needy now I will arise says the Lord I will set him in the safety for which he longs the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace on the earth refined seven times you O Lord will keep them you will preserve him from this generation forever the wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Now, how does this psalm apply to Jesus? By the way, one passage I didn't mention earlier. Jeremiah 5.1 Jeremiah is pictured with a lamp going through the streets of Jerusalem. He's looking for a righteous man. Remember that? Jeremiah 5.1 uh, that, that picture fits well. You're looking for the righteous person. It's hard to find. Do you think that Jesus ever felt alone and abandoned because of his desire to serve God? As Jesus is eating with the disciples and he tells them, all of you will fall away because of me this night. The text tells us that they, Peter says, Lord, though I die with you, I will not deny you. But all the other apostles joined in saying the same thing. They affirm their loyalty to the Lord. And yet when Jesus is arrested and he tells them to put up their sword, they all left him and fled. Matthew 26 and verse 56. They all abandoned him. Jesus was left absolutely alone. And Elijah could have said, when Elijah said, Lord, I alone am left, and God could say there's 7,000 knees that haven't bowed to Baal nor kissed Him. 
But Jesus could say, I alone am left. And that's absolutely true. And he was abandoned. He was alone because he was doing the right thing. So Jesus knows what it's like to be one in the midst of an ungodly world. Also, Jesus was the victim of flattering lips, of deceitful lips, of evil words. Do you remember when they came to Jesus and asked Him about paying taxes to Caesar? And this is found in each of the synoptics. It's found in Matthew 22, in Mark 12, and Luke 20. And in Luke 20, verse 20, they watched him and spent sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so they could deliver him to the rule and authority of the governor. And they questioned him saying, Teacher, we know you speak and teach correctly and that you're not partial to any, but teach the way of God and truth. If you want an illustration of what flattery means, there it is. Luke 20, verses 20 and 21. They are speaking so kindly of Jesus, hoping that this will lead Him to say something that they can accuse, that they, they can use to accuse Him to the governor. Jesus experienced flattery. Jesus experienced flattery from people who were double-hearted, who were seeking to use it against Him, who made false charges against Him in Matthew 26, in verses 59 and 60. And this may be reading too much into it. But in Psalm 7, in verse 12, It says, you will preserve him from this generation. When Jesus uses the term this generation, how is it always used? It's used negatively, isn't it? An evil and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah in Matthew 12, verses 41 and 42. So, just as the people of David's day experienced evil from their wicked generation, so Jesus did as well in Matthew chapter 12. And just as these people refused any kind of allegiance to God in Psalm 12, verse 4, remember they said of Jesus in Luke 14, verse, in Luke 19, verse 14, Luke 19, verse 14, we will not have this man reign over us. But in the midst of a world where Jesus was abandoned, Jesus was forsaken because he did the right thing in the midst of the world where he was the victim of wicked men with evil tongues. In the midst of a world that rejected his reign and his signs, the Lord says, I will arise. The word that's used in the Septuagint for arise, as we pointed out before, it's a word that is used often in the New Testament for the resurrection of Jesus. How do we live? I don't remember exactly all John said about Gerald Wilson's title. What do you do when you think you're the only servant of God left? One day, 
the same Jesus who arose from the dead will come back and will vindicate all who put their trust in him. But to affirm that the Lord the Lord reigns, as we have stated before, to affirm that is a statement of faith because we believe his words are pure, his words are true, his words are like silver tried in a furnace and refined seven times. Any other thoughts? Well, thank you all. I had um, entertained the wild idea um, at the beginning of the week that we may have time for two psalms, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen, people. (laughs) But uh, thank you for bearing with us. And uh, I hope that this has been profitable for you. It has been for me. And Brad is going to lead us in a psalm based on a song based on Psalm twelve. For those of you who haven't been here before, we've been singing through the Psalms. Um, they obviously uh, used the Psalms as uh, a hymn, and they sang these somehow. And so we've been taking uh, the words and putting them to uh, songs that we're familiar with. And so that's what we're going to do. So um, again, the the verse numbers are uh, noted in throughout the song, so you can see where those have come from. So we'll sing uh, Psalm 12 to the tune of Give Me the Bible. Help, Lord, because our godly man now ceases. The faithful vanish from the sons of men. Falsehood speak to one another with flattering lips and double heart they speak. Oh, may the Lord cut off all lips that flatter and every boasting tongue that speaks great things. Those who have said with our tongue we will conquer. Our lips are ours, so is the Lord or us. Because of deep distress of the afflicted, because of all the groaning of the poor, I will arise up, says the Lord Almighty. I'll set him in the safety which he craves. Words of the Lord are pure as smelted silver. You, Lord, will keep them seven times refined. You'll keep him always from this generation. The wicked prance when vile men are revered. Very good. Thanks for being here.